I'm Tim Heinzelman. There you go. And you are privileged to have Brian Brooks as your pastor. Amen? Amen. We, we have known Brian and Maria on their journey, and we are simply honored to be their friends. And, and I am pleased to be able to be with you this morning. Of course, Brian sent me a, a message this morning praying for me and asking me to bring his brothers and sisters a greeting from him. How much like Brian is that? Yeah. So let me read for you first uh, the text that I'd like us to consider this morning. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. He treats him as if he is his son. And Timothy's in Ephesus. He's a younger pastor. Timothy's maybe not the most confident uh, leader that we've had in the church. And Paul is trying to encourage the heck out of this young man who he loves dearly. Timothy is facing some pressures inside the church and also outside. Listen to what Paul is saying to him in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Paul writes, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Truly, this is the word of the Lord. And I'm going to take this off, right? Put it back on. Paul begins so many of his messages by sharing a greeting that I'll share with you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As I have been reflecting upon this passage since Brian asked me to preach here, I think. Paul is telling Timothy and telling us that we need to be people who are praying with an attitude. Well, what does an attitude mean? Well, an attitude, it, it has three different meanings. Uh, a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something typically reflected in a person's behavior. We would call this a mindset. Somebody who is a salesperson has to have a positive mindset. They, they think that they will sell you something because it's important for you to have. When I was a 
boy, my dad was a salesman for Kraft Foods for 33 years, and he would go out the door every morning with a positive attitude, and he instilled in me to have a positive attitude, even simple things, so that as a boy, I was taught that when you meet somebody for the first time, you look them in the eye, you shake their hand, and you lean toward them and say, hi, I'm Tim Heinzelman, and, and, and you kind of project an image, a mindset, an attitude, a position of the body implying an action or mental state. Again, my, my father's voice is in my ear. I, I played high school and college football, and he said, when you play, you got to play fearlessly. You got to play as if you don't have any fear. Otherwise, you're going to get hurt. Well, I didn't want to get hurt, and so I played with an attitude. And then the third kind of definition is more a North American thing, that it's an uncooperative behavior, a, a resentful uh, manner. Sometimes when you're in a restaurant, you can say, oh, the server had an attitude. Uh, or, or sometimes my wife and daughter are here. Uh, my wife is an alternative instructor teaching kindergarten through third grade reading. My daughter is a kindergarten teacher in Worthington, married to my son-in-law, who's a second grade teacher in Gahanna. And our son, who just graduated from Capitol, is a, got a job as a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> so we're surrounded by teachers at, at our table, okay, on, on Sunday mornings, like Blue Bloods, you know, where they have the, the Sunday meals. Only our conversations are around children, and sometimes the conversation talks about children with attitudes. And sometimes, and I hate to say this, I'm glad they left, sometimes when they hit fifth grade, that attitude kicks in. Amen? Yeah, all right, all right. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, join us for dinner and we'll be glad to tell you. Now, in a more playful way, I think some of us have grown up with Winnie the Pooh and A.L. Milne, whether you are... A Winnie the Pooh fan, whether you are a grandparent or a parent, each of those characters kind of presents an attitude. You know, there, there's Piglet who's shy and, and, and hides and, and, and is insecure. And, and then there's Rabbit who is kind of cynical and skeptical. There's Owl who is wise and, and, and trying to... Uh, let people know what the right thing to do. Uh, there's um, Kanga, who is protective of Rue, who's impetuous, wants to get into things. And, and of course, maybe everybody's favorite is uh, Tigger, who is impulsive and, and wants to do things, and, and he's ready to go. We, we can see those attitudes reflected in the characters there. I want you to have, have this sense of attitude because that's where we're at this morning. But Paul begins, and, and, and we go back to the seventh verse, where, where Paul says, for this purpose, okay, you guys need to get this. Timothy, you need to get this. It is for this purpose that I was appointed uh, a herald, an apostle, a teacher. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. Timothy, you got to have an attitude. You have got to have an attitude because if we are people of prayer, it pleases God, and the devil hates it. If you want to irritate the devil, 
start praying. Start having this edge. Have this attitude that when you pray, things happen. And, and, and the reason, the purpose of the prayer is not just to please God and, and not just to irritate the devil, which are both good, very good things. But the purpose is so that we can lead lives that set a context so that the gospel can be shared and people can be saved. Pray so that there is a context so that even ungodly rulers will allow a peaceful situation to occur so that we can advance the gospel to as many people as possible. That's why we need to keep praying. That's why we need to have an attitude. We have to have an edge. We have to remember that this is important. And it's so important. Uh, I hope you noticed all the times that Paul used the word all in the, the, the verse that I, verses that I read. For instance, he begins by saying, I urge, and it's translated, if I could command you, I'm going to take you by the lapel. This is going to be on the final. This is important. I am urging you. I am imploring you. I am commanding you. First of all, prayer is not something that we get around to when we feel like it. It's not something, oh, yeah, you know what? I prayed for breakfast. I'll probably pray for dinner, and, and I might have a few thoughts throughout the day. I urge you, first of all, this is a priority, Timothy. Don't miss this. You want to have a successful ministry? You want to have a faithful ministry? You want to have a life that pleases God? I'm urging you, first of all, to pray. Pray for all people. For all people. Well, that's a daunting task. I, I, I pray every day for my family and, and, and for loved ones, but there is a sense that Paul wants us to be people who are so focused on prayer. We pray for everybody. Praying for everybody. For kings and all those in authority. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. You got to realize that Paul is telling Timothy to pray for people like Nero. Nero will unleash an ungodly persecution upon Christians. He will make them the scapegoat for what he has done in Rome. And they will be brutally murdered because of his sadistic will. Pray for kings and all those in authority. Well, I didn't like that person, and so I didn't vote for them. Okay, you didn't have to vote for them, but you have to pray for them. Ouch. Most of us are on one side of the political fence or the other. That means that we have to pray for the people who are in power. We pray for our president, whether we voted for them or not. We pray for them so that the conditions are right so that we can share the gospel. That's the goal. Paul goes on. 
I want you to be praying in all godliness and holiness. I, I want you to have dignity and reverence. I, I want you to be set apart in such a way that people will be attracted to you and the gospel because of who you are. If you are a person of prayer, if you have this attitude of prayer, people will come to you. It's interesting. As I was asked by Brian a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to reflect on this text. And during that time, I received requests from friends, high school friends. Will you pray for my daughter? Will you pray for my surgery? It's not because I'm a pastor, a retired pastor. I, I think it's because when we are people who are focused on prayer, other people will come to us. And I am sure that if I were to stand out there, you would come to me after the service and say, oh yeah, people at work, people in my community, people in my circle of friends come to me all the time and ask me to pray because they know who I am. They sense that there's something different about me. They sense that I am connected I am truthfully connected to God, and people will come and ask you to pray for them. It's not because of how good we are. We're better than that. It's because of how good God is, and God is flowing through us, that other people who may not be connected to God said, oh, there is somebody who I think has a better connection than I do. That's what it is, that, that godliness and holiness that, that God has shaped us in such a way that it makes a difference. Because God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved. He does. This is not universalism, where all people will be saved. But God wants all people to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. And part of our journey is to bring others to Christ. We have received Christ, the good news, the salvation, the promise, the hope, and ours is the responsibility of passing it on to others. Why wouldn't we? God wants all people to be saved, and Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all people. So Jesus Christ is the way to be saved, and that's part of our gospel. Another way of saying that is we live in a culture that is pluralistic where we'll say, well, your way is just as good as my way. Nope. Another way of saying it, there might, might be many ways to Jesus, but Jesus is the only way of salvation. And that is the good news that we need to share with the people within our relationship groups. That's pretty expansive. So question we, we, we would ask then is, okay, how can we become people who pray with an attitude? And I, and I think, simply put, the good news for us this morning is that we can pray with an attitude by making three decisions. We can be these people who have this prayerful attitude towards life. 
making three decisions. Okay, what are they? First, prayer's got to become a priority. <laughs> you know what it's like to have priorities. I do too. When I have an infection and I need to take antibiotics, I don't say, yeah, I'll take them maybe when I feel like it. No, I want to get healthy, and so it's a priority for me to take those pills. I don't like it when I get charged extra fines, and so I pay my bills on time. It is a priority. I remember my wife's birthday. That's very easy because it's two days by mine. I remember my wife's birthday. I remember my children's birthday. I remember our anniversary. It's important to me. The first day of spring, every year that Colleen and I have been married, 37 years, I bring her flowers. Why? Because the grandfather that I never knew died when my mom was 10, but my grandfather, Rosenquist, brought my grandmother, Rosenquist, flowers the first day of spring every year of their marriage. And so to honor the grandfather that I never knew and to honor the grandmother that I did know, to keep a family tradition alive, the first day of spring, my wife is not surprised when I bring her a bouquet of flowers. Why? It's a priority for me. It's important for me. The first prayer that I pray every morning is my prayer. My name is Timothy. Timothy in Greek means honoring God. The very first prayer I pray every day is, God, help me today to honor you. That's my prayer because of who I am. I am specifically named, and I want to own that name. God, help me today to honor you. And then as I go into the day, I, I, I do have a time of prayer in the morning, and I don't know if you're a morning person or a night person, but I make it a priority that I set aside a time where I can listen to God. I, I, I had uh, the occasion to, to know a wonderful man by the name of Brennan Manning. He has written some books that you might have read. Brennan Manning, uh, uh, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, anyway. When I was with Brennan, because I was in campus ministry at North Park University in Chicago for about eight years, hosted him a couple times, Brennan said this about the priority of prayer. Show up and shut up for 20 minutes. Show up and shut up. Show up and then listen to God. What is God trying to tell you? Spending time with God so that, so that you can be filled, encouraged, Blessed, supported, challenged. But then don't make that just 20 minutes and I've done my thing, thank you, and I'm gone. I have found that in my journey that I keep prayer a priority throughout the day so that when there is something that is good that is happening, there's blue sky with all the rain that we've had. Thank you for the blue sky when 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 Cardinals show up in our backyard. And my wife has a beautiful flower garden. Amazing. We go out there in the morning and in the evening and we're visited by hummingbirds. Okay, if you aren't awestruck by hummingbirds, then 
just leave and you know we'll we'll talk about another time. These little birds are just so amazing. If, if that doesn't bring something out of you, if you're walking down the street and, and, and you see a parent grabbing a hold of a child and that doesn't bring some tenderness in your heart, or or you know, just go on and on and on, finding things to thank God. And 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 when you hear the laughter of children and, 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 and the joy that they bring. Thank you, God, for the gift of children. Thank you for who they are, even when they have an attitude. <laughs> or when the news comes, the devastating news from Ukraine or Sudan or the heat wave that is taking lives in Arizona and on and on and on, that, 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 that you don't pause and say, oh, God, be with those people. Be, be, be somehow supportive of them. If that prayer doesn't arise within you, you're not making it a priority. Be so sensitized so that when you hear the siren going down the street, you say, God, I don't know who that siren, that, police, that fire truck or the police car is for, but that somebody who is in need, God, help them. Those are the kinds of things that, that make prayer a priority so that you live your life in such a way that prayer is so much with you that you're just praying all the time. Yeah, you probably need to pray for me because I, I grew up a Cleveland fan. <laughs> and so I find myself watching the Guardians games and, and I'm thinking, are, are you kidding me? I'm praying that, I stopped praying that they would get a hit. I, I'm just saying, I'm praying that, that, uh, that, the, that they would see the ball. That's all. And I have to laugh at myself. Really? You're praying for guys to see the ball? What is wrong with you? I don't know. I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is, when we have a life of prayer, anything goes. Intercessing, thanking God, receiving requests. So prayer becomes a lifestyle. Making prayer a priority. The second decision that we need to make Let's make prayer shape our identity. Former church, uh, I, I, I stepped down as a lead pastor of a church in, in May. I'd been, been there for 25 years. And one of the church members that was a part of my journey was a, a wonderful woman by the name of Siggy. Uh, she was an ordained Lutheran pastor. Uh, fast forward, at some point in her journey, she fell into a deep depression and anxiety. She was not herself. She, she was just in a place of darkness. Fortunately, she was able to come out of that. And, and as I was talking to her literally this week, um, she said, you know, what changed me was I began thanking God for everything that I possibly could thanking God for that blue sky or for that bird. She, she, she tried to find as many things as possible in her life to thank God for. To thank God for somebody who was caring for her, who brought her food, or for her ability to, to uh, do a craft or whatever it was. Her life was filled with more and more and more thanksgivings. And it changed her. If you had known her before and after, you go, oh, this is not the same person. And I'm so grateful for what God is doing in her life. And she reminds me that 
truly, that prayer can change us. I'm thinking of, of, of scripture passages where prayer changed people. Uh, followers of Jesus are gathered because Peter is in prison and he's going to be killed the very next day by Herod and by the authorities. And so they're praying. And they're praying. And you know the story that angel comes and releases Peter from prison and opens the doors and Peter comes and he's knocking on the door and, and they don't let him in because they're praying. Can you imagine being part of that praying community and having Peter, who was in prison, now with you in fellowship? Can you imagine what that did to your prayer life? That you're sitting there praying somehow, hoping against hope that God would do something miraculous, and he does. And then you are there seeing Peter, not in prison, but in the same room. That would change you, wouldn't it? That would shape you to be a person of prayer so that when we pray, things happen. We are not just saying words, but we are calling on the power of the glory of God to make a difference in our lives. That we are people with that edge that, yeah, the darkness is going to flee because it doesn't have a choice. When I pray for somebody who has cancer, when I pray for somebody who is in a broken marriage, when I pray for somebody who's looking for a job, I'm expecting that God will do something. My first weeks of seminary in Chicago, the dean of the seminary came to me and said, Tim, I haven't seen you in our prayer meetings. And I said, Dean, I thought that they were optional. And the dean said, not for you. Early in my journey as a young seminarian, the dean of the seminary saw that I was immature. I needed to grow. That God needed to shape my heart by prayer. And I'm so glad that the dean called me out and shaped my life to be a man of prayer. One of the humbling moments of my life was when I stepped down a couple of months ago at the end of May. And people at the end of the service stood up and for about an hour they were sharing memories. Some of them were funny. Some of them were poignant. One of my takeaways was people remembered when I prayed for them. I'm going back to my early days thinking, oh my gosh, I was such a yutz. I, I was so immature. That's not who I was, but who I was 40-some years ago is not who I am right now. That prayer has changed me. Changed the lives of those who I've had the privilege of serving. When you become a person of prayer, it it changes who you are. It, it, it changes how you pray. That, that some of the bitterness and the anger that you have 
some of the disappointment that you live with is transferred, that you begin seeing people not as hurtful and mean people trying to get you, but broken people who need help. It changes you. Prayer changes you as you live your life, when you make it a priority. And then lastly, prayer guides our ministry. The reason that Paul is saying to Timothy that he needs to be a person of prayer and praying with an attitude is so that people can come to a saved relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the end goal. That's the ministry. We're praying so that our ministry would be guided by what God wants us to do. We tell the story of the, of the church that I served in, in Westerville where I, I, I came in 98 in, in March and in June of 98 we were receiving all kinds of offers for our five acre property. We had an ugly first stage building. It had, it had the worst design flow of any building in Christendom. It was awful. It was an ugly building, great, great property. And so we, we, we knew that we were, we were going to be moving because people were throwing money at us, and we were like, okay, okay, we'll take it. And so what would happen was we, we, we'd find a site, and I'd tell people on a Sunday morning, okay, we're thinking about this location. During the week, if you have a chance, go, would you go out there and, and pray, see whether this is what God wants us to do? Well, we had eight deals fall through. I felt like an idiot. Hey, let's pray for this prayer. No, you know what? That one fell through. Okay, let's pray for this one. No, that one fell through too. Okay, so, but after a while, we just kept doing this because God didn't want us in any of these places. We ended up early in the, in the process of doing the push pins on a map where all our people lived. And if we went too far east, then the people over here might not come too far west. People over here might not come north, south. So, so we, we looked at the middle of the map where there was nobody and said, okay, this is the geographic center of our congregation where everybody will be a little bit inconvenienced. We ended up buying an existing church almost to the exact spot that we put, that put and, and that was amazing. God wanted us to be at the south end of Westerville. It's a poor section. It's a poor section of Westerville. God wanted us there to be around people of physical and spiritual need. God guided us because we kept praying. And God's going to guide you too. One of the ways that God is going to guide you is into relationships. Because Bottom line of this text is we pray so that the conditions will be right. We can live peaceful lives because it's a lot easier to share the gospel when bombs aren't flying over your head. It's a lot easier to share the gospel when people aren't putting up picket signs uh, hating on each other. It's a lot easier to share the gospel when the environment is safe. He wants people to come to Jesus Christ. And so for us, as we think about our relationships, one of the things that I have 
invite our congregation to do is get a Frank list. F-R-A-N-C. I know. Who are your friends who need to know about Jesus? Do you have any relatives who need to know about Jesus? Do you have any acquaintances who need to know about Jesus? Do you have any neighbors? Do you have any co-workers? That's Frank. Got that? F-R-A-N-C. Who are the people in your life who need to know about Jesus? Because God will use you if you have developed an attitude of prayer, an edge. God will use you to make a difference in people's lives. One of the hard things is when you have a relative who doesn't know Jesus. And I know I've been praying for a first cousin for a long time. And, and we've made some inroads, but, it, but it's hard. And, and I wish I could say that because I've been praying, my first cousin came to Christ. He hasn't. But I'm stubborn. I'm part Swedish, and if you know any Swedes, they're stubborn. I'm stubborn. I hope you're stubborn too. I hope you have an attitude. I hope you have an edge. That when you pray, it pleases God and it disturbs Satan. When you pray with an attitude that you are focused every day on the issues of life. And though you cannot change everything in your life that is broken, you are doing what you can to heal this broken world. You're praying for the Holy Spirit to come in with power and glory and force. You're praying that God will make a difference in your lives. You are, you're praying so that you become a different person as you live your life. What a blessing it will be if, if people come to you and say, you know, will you pray for me? There's something about you that is different. There's something about you that is good. Will you pray for me? And will we pray that those within our frank list who don't know Jesus would come, whether, they, whether God uses us as that vehicle or uses somebody else, but the people that we love and know and work with and are around would come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ because he is the only way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who makes a difference in this world. And so what can we do? We can start praying with an attitude to the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word we thank you for embedding it into our hearts and our minds and our attitudes. Lord, we would pray that as we have heard your word and come next to it, we would be moved and changed. God, help us to become people who pray with an attitude because you get the glory and you are worthy of all that we can bring. And so, God, help prayers not be just for our food, just for our safety, 
but help our prayers be to bring people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there is anybody here who does not know Jesus, I pray that they would either talk to me or somebody else, or somebody who invited them, or somebody who, who brought them here, that they can know that Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, our Savior and Lord. And so bless us this week, Lord, as we go out and become people of prayer. Surround us with your peace and joy and hope and love, as only you can do. Come, Holy Spirit, and be upon us. And Lord, thank you for Pastor Brian and Maria. Bless them in Jamaica on their vacation and surround them with your peace. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.